The scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 2 and 16. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, on a certain Saturday in 1899, uh, there were four journalists who worked for four different newspapers who were gathered together at a train station in Denver, Colorado searching for a story for the Sunday paper. Uh, unfortunately, no celebrity got off the train, nor were there any activities uh, that would make a good story for the Sunday paper. And so the four journalists got together and they said, what are we gonna do? And so they sat down together at a bar and they colluded together to fabricate a story. And one of them said, the story can't be small or else it's not gonna be believable. It has to be something big. But another journalist said, well, if it's local, people can fact check, so it has to be something that's global so people can't check what it is. And so one of them had the genius idea of saying, why don't we, why don't we write a story that uh, the Chinese government is willing to uh, demolish the Great Wall of China? And so one of the other journalists says, well, why in the world would they ever do that? And so one journalist said, well, maybe, maybe they want to do that, as a sign of international goodwill and to also encourage foreign trade. And so the four of them colluded together the story. They, they made it in sync. And the following morning, this story hit all four Denver papers. Now keep in mind that this is uh, in 1899 prior to the internet. However, even though this story was a long time ago, this story eventually went viral and it eventually ended on the ears of the Chinese government. Now, the Chinese government had no, no plans on ever demolishing the Great Wall of China, nor did they have any desire to recruit American engineers to help them demolish the wall. And so when they heard about this news, the Chinese government understandably saw this as a threat. And so a strong group of Chinese nationals therefore caused some ruckus, and they began to attack foreigners, expats, missionaries, and embassies that were in China. The attacks eventually got so brutal that hundreds upon thousands of lives from both Chinese locals and uh, foreigners were eventually killed. And this event eventually became known as the Boxer Rebellion. And it all started with a lie at a bar in Denver, Colorado. If you're joining us uh, today for the first time, we're uh, in the final lap in our series on the Ten Commandments. And today we're taking a look at the Ninth Commandment, and it is the only commandment that addresses our speech. Uh, studies show that we all have 30, up to 30 different conversations per day. We speak so much that if our spoken words were translated down into written words that in one year's time, each and every one of us could publish 66 books that were 800 pages each. We are speaking creatures, and the reason we are speaking creatures is because God is a speaking God. But not all of our speech is created equal. Uh, Pamela Myers, who's an author and a certified fraud examiner, 
Imagine going on a date with a certified fraud examiner, how insecure you'd feel. In her book, Lie Spotting, she says that if you're between the ages of 18 and 45, which is almost every one of us, she says that we lie one to five times a day. And what's even more stunning is that she says in her book, we actually encounter or experience 10 to 200 lies per day. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why that one of the big 10 commandments is do not bear false witness. Now that seems like a very odd way of saying do not lie. So why does it say do not bear false witness? Well, the ninth commandment is written in the context of the Jewish legal system. And long before the days of Dexter and forensic, forensics evidence, a case was ultimately decided by the testimony of a witness. And so a false witness giving a false testimony could be absolutely fatal for another person. And this is one of the reasons why they required at least two or three witnesses to prevent false witnesses from coming forward. But obviously this doesn't, it didn't promote justice all the time. And we see this in the case and trial of Jesus himself where there were multiple witnesses coming that were giving false testimonies. But in Jewish culture, they took this command so seriously that if you were caught giving a false witness or testimony, you were liable to receive the same exact punishment as the person you were witnessing against. And so they took this, uh, this commandment uh, very, very seriously. And the reason why they took it seriously is because they knew that false witnesses, if there was enough of them, it could destroy the fabric of a society. In the book of James, it says that our tongue is like a fire, destroying everything in its path, like the fires in Northern California. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, from Thomas Watson, a Puritan, and he says that God has given us two ears, one mouth, so that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak, and we've all heard expressions like that before, but this, this is the part I really, really like. He says, God has put a double fence around our tongue to prevent us from harming one another. A double fence, our teeth and our lips, so that we would be wary in offending one another. And so if you take a look at the Proverbs and throughout Scripture, it warns us over and over because we're speaking creatures to be careful with our tongues because our tongues are like a fire that can destroy everything in its path. And yet, despite all the evidence and all the, the admonitions to be careful with what we say, the majority of us do not think that we are as deceitful as we really are. And a part of the reason why we don't think that we're as deceitful as we really are is because we don't see just how multifaceted lying really is. And so one of the things that I want to do is to give you nine examples nine different examples of how we lie to see just how multifaceted it is. So here's the first example of how we lie. One way, one way we lie is by stretching the truth. Who hasn't texted someone saying, I'll be there in five minutes, when you really know you're going to be there in like 15 or 20 minutes? Why do we do that? Because we don't want to look bad. So we stretch the truth. Another way of lying is that we spin the truth. And so let's say we have brunch with someone the next morning or an important meeting that we have to go to, uh, but we hang out a little bit too late the previous night and we don't have a good night's rest. And so 
we text a person and we say, is it okay if I cancel because I didn't sleep really well? So we're telling the truth, but we're telling the truth in sort of a misleading way because we're not telling the whole truth. Let me give us another example. We exaggerate and we use hyperbole. Uh, this happens a lot with couples. You always do this. You never do that. But do we always do that? Do we never do this? It's an example of exaggeration and hyperbole. Fourthly, at work, we pad our resumes, our LinkedIn profiles. Uh, when someone asks us uh, whether we've, we're almost done working on that particular project or document, you say, we say, oh yeah, we're almost done. Meanwhile, we haven't even looked at the thing yet. Uh, so one way of doing that is with our work or when we sell our clients or our customers a particular product saying that it's this, this, and this, but we really know it's not as great as we are saying it is. Fifthly, our dating lives. We present ourselves in one way Meanwhile, we're really another way. Sixthly, we also do this on social media. We present ourselves in one way, but in real life, we're really another way. Seventh example, gossip. When we're only telling one side of the story to everyone else without hearing both sides of the story, and we don't realize that we could be perpetuating a lie. When we gossip, we're telling uh, someone, we're, we're speaking about someone behind their back what we would not say to their face. Eighthly, you know what flattery is? It's the exact opposite of gossip. In gossip, we speak behind someone's back what we would never say to their face. With flattery, we say to their face what we would never say behind their back because it's false praise. We don't really mean what we're saying, so we're lying in the, uh, with the desire to be polite to that other person, which is a, another lie. And ninthly, we can even lie on behalf of the good. So a nonprofit can exaggerate their statistics in order to spread more awareness about the good things that they're doing or to acquire more funding. But obviously with the danger, the danger uh, with telling this lie is that we're sort of misallocating the limited resources and we're not stewarding the limited resources that we have in the appropriate ways. Those are just nine different ways where we deceive other people and we deceive ourselves. I wanna read you a quote on the first page of your bulletin from an article entitled, Why We Lie, The Science Behind Our Deceptive Ways. And this is what the author says. Lying, it turns out, is something that most of us are very adept at. We lie with ease in ways big and small to strangers, coworkers, friends, and loved ones. Our capacity for dishonesty is as fundamental to us as our need to trust others, which ironically makes us terrible at detecting lies. Being deceitful is woven into our very fabric, so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. Honesty may be the best policy, but scheming and dishonesty are part of what makes us human. And what I find so interesting about this article is that this is a secular piece, and one of the lines in the article, it says that to lie is to be fundamentally human. And what this article is saying and what the Bible is saying is that none of us speaks the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth all of the time. 
there's a Greek philosopher uh, that dates all the way back to the fourth century BC named Diogenes. And there's a statue of Diogenes holding a lamp. And you can tell by the way that the the statue is made that Diogenes is looking for something. And what Diogenes is looking for is a single honest person, but to no avail. All of us are deceitful in more ways than we absolutely think. And so the question is, why are we like this? Why do we deceive one another and ourselves? Well, a lie is a misrepresentation of reality. And one of the reasons why we tell lies is because we want to acquire things or we want to profit off of things. Another reason why we lie is because of convenience sake. Another reason why we lie is because we want to put down others or to slander other people. Uh, We lie for a cornucopia of different reasons. But if there is one major reason, if there is one root reason for why we have a propensity to lie and why lying is almost fundamentally human, the reason why we lie is because we don't know the truth about who we really are. We don't realize who we really are, which is why that the Bible says that one of the most common forms of lying is self-deception. Now, that might seem a little bit odd in saying, how can the self deceive the self? But this is something that we do all the time. There are so many of us that think more highly of ourselves than other people think about us, while there are others of us that think more lowly of ourselves than other people think about us. C.S. Lewis once said that the most harmful things, the most wicked things that have ever been said about us have not been said by other people but they have been said by ourselves. And for those of you who have battled depression throughout the years and for seasons, and and I have as well, you know precisely what Lewis means when he says that. Some of the worst things that have ever been said about us have been said uh, by ourselves. Adolf Hitler once said that uh, if you want people to believe a lie, make it big and say it as frequently as possible. And sometimes the biggest lies and the most frequent lies that we tell are the lies that we tell uh, to ourselves. I want to read you a second quote from um, James Patterson and Peter Kim uh, on the first page of your bulletin. And in their book, The Day America Told the Truth, they say, most of us are not the kind of people that others think we are. We aren't even the kind of people we think we are. In this decade especially, We have set up elaborate facades to prevent others from viewing the real us. The shocking thing about this quote is that this book was published in 1991, before the advent of social media. And what that means is that this has not only, the the problem of self-deception is not only a problem today, but it has always been a problem. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, the greatest form of despair is not being who you really are. What Kierkegaard was saying is that we are strangers to ourselves. And that is the greatest form of despair. Not losing someone to cancer, not breaking up with someone, but the greatest form of despair we can experience is being a stranger to ourselves. Dostoevsky, uh, which is also on the first page of your bulletin, the Brothers Karamazov, says, above all, don't lie to yourself. 
the man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him, and so loses respect for himself and for others, and having no respect, he ceases to love. When we lie, uh, we not only lose our jobs, our marriages, money, trust, integrity, but when we lie, the biggest thing that we lose is ourselves. We forget who we really, really are. And so the question is, how can we uh, truly know who we really are in order that we might speak the truth in more honest ways? Well, Neil Postman, who uh, was a professor at NYU, wrote a very important book called Amusing Ourselves to Death a few decades ago. And in the beginning of the book, uh, Postman uh, contrasts George Orwell with Aldous Huxley, 1984 with A Brave New World. And uh, Postman says that for Orwell, he talks about how to control people. And for Orwell, the best way of controlling people is by limiting information. And when you limit information, you can conceal the truth. So think North Korea. Way to control people, limit information, conceal the truth. Huxley, however, said the exact opposite of Orwell. And Huxley said, if you want to control people, the way to do that is not by limiting information, but by actually giving people an avalanche of information, by giving people a monsoon of information, so much information that no one knows what's true or false anymore, that finding the truth is like finding a needle in a haystack. And so today, I would say that is certainly our world. We don't know anymore what's real news or fake news, the good news or the bad news. And so here's the question that we have to figure out. If we want to know who we truly, truly are, we have to first figure out what is ultimate truth, what is reality. And in the Gospel accounts, Pontius Pilate phrases this question very well when Jesus is in court before him and Pilate says, what is truth? And the irony behind the scene is that the truth was standing right before him, but he couldn't see it. Because throughout the life of Jesus, he says things over and over like, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Light reveals reality. Darkness conceals reality. Light is like the truth. Darkness is like a lie. And here Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so over and over throughout Jesus' ministry, he's saying, I am the truth. I am the light. Now, why would, why would Jesus say things like this? Because as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus knew, Jesus knew that blaspheming was the equivalent of treason in Jewish law. And so Jesus, above all people, knew that if he were to continue on speaking like this, it would eventually lead to his humiliation, incarceration, and crucifixion. Now, when we lie, we do it to gain an advantage or for convenience sake or for comfortability. We lie because we want something. If Jesus was lying and he knew that it would eventually lead to his death, why would he, why would he tell these lies? C.S. Lewis says, at that point, he is either a liar and a lunatic, or he really must be Lord. 
One of my favorite scenes, and I'd never seen this before, but when I was reading John chapter 7 this week, there's a scene where the religious leaders send the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. And the temple guards actually go and find Jesus, but they come back to the religious leaders completely empty-handed. And so the religious leaders say, why didn't you bring him back? You know what their response was? The temple guards say, no one has ever spoken like this man has. And when you read the Gospels, you see this expression over and over again. No one has ever spoken like this man has. And the Jewish leaders say, has he deceived you also? Because for them, he's a liar and a lunatic. And so C.S. Lewis is right. When it comes to who Jesus is, you have really three options. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he really is Lord. Now, there are plenty of people that think he's a liar and a lunatic, but there are also a lot of people that really believe he is Lord. And it's not only because of what Jesus said, but it's also because of what Jesus did. You see, the cross is not just a crucifixion, because a crucifixion is simply an instrument of torture. But on the cross that Jesus died on, something actually magical happens. Uh, if you've been at our church for a while, you've heard this uh, illustration before, but I know that it's Labor Day weekend, so a lot of you are visiting, so I'm going to tell it again. But Francis Schaeffer tells a story about an invisible weightless tape recorder. And he says that imagine that every baby born into this world is born with an invisible weightless tape recorder. And the reason why this recorder is very special is because it only records moral statements. Now, fast forward through all the babies you know, lives, and now they're standing before the pearly gates and before God, and one of them says, God, uh, you can't judge us. We didn't know that you were real. No one ever told us about you. And so God says, and keep in mind, this is just a fictional story. God says, um, very well then. I won't judge you according to my standards. I'll judge you according to your own. And so he takes off, unbeknownst to that person, an invisible, weightless tape recorder. And God pushes play, and all of a sudden you hear your voice, and you hear your voice calling someone a pathological liar. And then God pushes fast forward, and then he, you hear your voice again. And this time, you're the one that is stretching the truth, spinning the truth, pushes fast forward again. And here you are uh, uh, calling, uh, uh, calling someone out for being a gossiper. And then God pushes fast forward again. And now you're the one gossiping about someone else. And the point of the story, the point of this illustration is this. God doesn't need to judge us based upon his own standards because we can't even live according to our own. There isn't a single one of us here that is innocent of the words that we have spoken. Every one of us here stands condemned. But on the cross, the magical thing that takes place, and this is where it's so different from the other people that were getting crucified right next to him, something magical takes place, and Jesus takes off the invisible weightless moral tape recorder around our necks. And what he does on the cross is that he actually puts it on himself. So that the words that we have spoken, the lies, the deceit that we have said about others and ourselves, he wears so that it is as if he had spoken those words himself. And he takes off his perfect recorder where there is only honesty, love, and truth. 
and he places it around our necks as if we had been those types of people. This is what Martin Luther would refer to as the marvelous exchange. And when you realize that this is what Jesus has done for you, and that you're accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for you, why do we have to spin the truth to be accepted by other people? If we're late, we're late. Why do we have to spin the truth so that we don't look as bad when God already looks at us favorably? Why do we have to pad our resumes to get a job when we already have the perfect resume that Jesus has given to us? Why do we have to uh, make a good impression on other people when we've been approved and justified by the person that really only matters? Nobody else's does. And when you realize what Jesus has done for you and the truth of who you really are, a sinner that is saved by grace, despite my own words convicting me, it actually empowers you to now begin to speak the truth even if there are some consequences, even if you're a little bit late, even if you didn't finish the project like you were supposed to, it turns you into a man and it turns you into a woman that is about integrity, that is about the truth. The word integrity comes from the word integer, which means to be whole. The opposite of the word integrity is the word duplicitous, which means to be divided. And the scripture says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And based upon the words that we say, it is evident that our hearts are divided and duplicitous. But Jesus has come to resurrect and give us a new heart, a whole heart, his heart. And when you realize that he has given that to you, it gives you the power to now be able to give life through your words. Our words can destroy, but our words can also heal. But the question is, what will heal our words? It is only God himself. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, fix uh, the disease that we have, the disease of self-deception. Help us to have a more profound self-awareness of who we really are. And that despite the fact that we are fallen, broken, and have speech that does not represent you. It is my prayer that you would change us uh, and help us to be more aware of who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name, I pray.